0: Love, talk Radio. Good evening, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host Ted O'Rico, broadcasting live every Thursday 6 to 8 p.m. Central from Panama City Beach, Florida, home of the world's most beautiful beaches. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining me on my weekly broadcast. Every week, I'll feature some of the best instructors, coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs in the golf business today. I begin with a great discussion on Coach's Corner, followed by an insightful interview with my special guest. So let's get started by introducing tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, welcome everybody to Season 8 of Golf Talk Live, as always, After a very long break, I'm excited to be back on air. And of course, over the next few weeks, if you've been tuning into the show for any length of time, you'll know that uh, I spend the first month coming back, usually the month of February, uh, as they say, warming up my chops uh, as I get prepared for the full season, which of course is going to begin on March the 5th. Um, And as always, that will mean the return of Coach's Corner. So for the next few weeks, I'll be conducting my hourly interview portion until then. I'm really looking forward to another great season overall and have once again put together a fantastic group this season uh, coming on the Coaches Corner panel. And that, again, will begin on March the 5th. So for the next few weeks, uh, just myself and my very special guest of the evening, and I'll tell you a little bit about tonight's guest uh, in just a moment. Um, but again, thank you, everybody, for joining me live here this evening on Golf Talk Live. It's always a pleasure. And as I said, I'm very, very excited to be back on air after an extended break. Um, some great ways to tune into the show, of course, uh, first and foremost, the main uh, site is if you go to blogtalkradio.com and type in Golf Talk Live or just simply add forward slash Golf Talk Live. Uh, that will take you to the main page and uh, always Thursday evenings from 6 to 8, except for obviously this uh, show is going to be a little bit shorter, but uh, 6 to 8 p.m. Central is when the short uh, show normally airs live and you can go on and listen live on that link. Uh, Or if you're not able to tune in during that time, you can uh, visit that link at any point and listen to the show in its entirety on the recorded version, which just simply scroll down that page, you'll see the on-demand section, and then just select the uh, particular show. There's all kinds of them there uh, that have been previously aired, and tonight will be no different. It will be there uh, a little bit shortly after uh, the broadcast ends tonight, uh, once everything's compiled and so forth. So just make sure you go to that link, and again, it's logtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live, or just simply uh, type in golf talk live. And at the end of the show, always uh, during the outro, I will uh, let you know some other great uh, uh, podcast sites that you can uh, catch the show as well. If, uh, if you uh, have a favorite that you like to, uh, to use uh, listening to some of your podcasts, you can do that. So uh, let me tell you a little bit about tonight's guest and then I will bring him on the show. Uh, my very special guest this evening is Darren Hoff, and he is the uh, Director of Golf Sales uh, for Golf Travel Professionals, LLC. Uh, he's also a PJ certified professional and the 2019 uh, North Florida PJ Horton Smith Award recipient. Uh, here's a little bit about his background, and uh, I-, I think you'll find it very, very interesting. I, I certainly did. Uh, he grew up, like most uh, Midwest kids in the 70s and 80s, uh, in love with anything that uh, involved a ball. Uh, as we all did growing up. Uh, His first love, of course, was baseball, and uh, it literally consumed his life until a family friend known to him as Grandma Betty uh, introduced him to her best friend's son, who just happened to be the late Payne Stewart. Uh, Despite uh, a difference in the age of about 13 years, Payne convinced Darren that he should pursue golf instead. So uh, he decided to do that and turned professional in 1992 while attending Ferris State University. And as he puts it, never looked back. Uh, while his dream of playing uh, professional uh, quickly faded uh, with Payne's passing in 1999, uh, his career as a PJ professional was about to take off. And since 2000, with the help of uh, a, a PJ professional and uh, PJ National Board of Director uh, Michael Kernicki, uh, he became an assistant professional at the Arnold Palmer uh, Bay Hill Club and Lodge. And over Uh, A decade and a half plus, he uh, had a front row seat, if you will, and learned many valuable life lessons from Mr. Palmer himself, so we're going to talk about that and many more uh, things as well. Uh, He left the uh, golf operations world in 2012, but not uh, before he successfully uh, was the head golf professional at Bay Hill, uh, also the brickyard at Riverside in Macon, Georgia, and Fiddlesticks Country Club in Fort Myers. Uh, later, he transitioned to a golf sales manager at Reu- Reunion Resort and eventually became the director of golf sales at Grand Cypress. In 2019, he launched Golf Travel Professionals LLC to assist golf groups from as little as two up to 200 in finding just the right venue to realize the vision for their golf getaway. Uh, he's been very, very active in the PGA of America and is currently on the board of directors for the North Florida PGA and is also a campaign strategist for Dave Schneider, P.J. of the Nebraska section, in his quest to become the next Secretary of the P.J. of America and eventually the Association's 44th President. So uh, without further ado, let me welcome tonight's very special guest, Darren Hoff. Good evening, Darren. Welcome to Golf Talk Live. How are you doing? How are you, sir? It's great to be here. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Um, we had a lot to get out there, but I wanted to make sure I caught it all because uh, it 's a very very interesting resume, if you will uh, that you put together and uh, there were specific things I wanted to make sure we, we got out um, so let me let me just back it up a little bit because I mentioned in the very first part of it uh, obviously you had a, a love for for i 'm sure many many sports, particularly baseball, and uh, I found it very very interesting obviously uh, you you had some uh, exposure to to Payne Stewart who we all uh, knew and loved very well as, as being a one of the consummate professionals in the golf industry, and uh, regrettably, uh, as noted, uh, you know we lost him uh, back in the late 90s. Tell us a little bit about the experience you had with him and, and really what specifically did he say to you that you recall that sort of led you down that path to, to, uh, to pursue golf? I first met Payne,
1: I believe it was 1982, 83, somewhere in there. Cause I'd gotten my grandma's couch all dirty one day after baseball and she snatched me up by the back of the <laughs> neck and said, you're going to go meet my friend's son. Who's a golfer. I want you to play golf. And I said, grandma golf is for people with no athletic ability and way too much time on their hands. So we go over and, and of course it was in, in pain's time where he had the long hair and the acupuncture needles and, and wasn't quite right. as polished as he was, as we learned him later in life. But he, uh, he just, he had this, this warm, inviting magnetism to him. And you know, I never met a professional golfer, never followed golf. I, I knew who the, you know, the big four were, but that was just cause my dad played. But over the years, mm-hmm. as, as I kind of started growing up and getting into high school and, and starting to have some, some people with, with one of the professional organizations contact me or contact my dad, I guess you'd call it. Um, pain kept whisper, whispering in my ear. Come out and play golf with us. Come out and play golf with us. And I kept resisting it. And one day, it's the most poignant thing he ever said to me. He says, look at you. You're a junior in high school. You're 92 pounds. You're six foot tall. You're going to get to rookie ball in a couple of years, and some hot shot's going to leave an off-speed pitch outside, and it's going to hit you and leave a two-foot hole coming out your back. And that Mm -hmm. said really was the (laughs) – that was the message he gave me, and and from that point on, it was pretty much put the glove and the bat down and and let's go to work on the golf course.
0: Well, some some certainly some words to live by, and and, and obviously uh, you know as you look back now uh, and reflect, obviously there was some some uh, sounded advice. You just add to that. Had you uh, had you actually ever? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, a golf club at that point, had you played at all a little bit, even just recreationally before then?
1: Um, ironically, no. I had not ever touched a club before I met Payne. And as full circle as life would have it, I hit my first golf shot when I was 13 at a course in Springfield, Missouri mm-hmm. called Horton Smith Golf Club. And to win the Horton Mm. Smith Award last year for the North Florida PGA was was a really special, really special award because that was where I hit my first golf ball. Wow! Um, Wow, that's fantastic. It was. It's been I've had I've had the most blessed career of anyone that I could ever recount, and most of it
0: was at no fault of my own. You know, Darren, what, what's interesting about that story is, you know, so many of us, you know, I, I grew up playing golf from a very early age. My father, you know, much like yours, played. And, and of course, he, you know, ushered me, like so many that are in the, in the business, uh, you know, to, to play or, or at least to, to get out on, on some form of a golf course or, or driving range very, very early on and, and try to introduce us to the game. But there's there's a number of you out there that really didn't start in that same traditional way. Um, you know, and, but yet somehow, some way through the inspiration of another person, uh, managed to, to literally fall in love with the game. So the, I think it's a very interesting story and I can't really think of a better person, um, to have really inspired that because, you know, I, I know from watching Payne in his earlier days, you're exactly right. You know, the long hair and, and, uh, just, a, a um, but a, an incredible, um, personality, just very, uh, you know a lot of magnetism, as you said, and and just able to to draw people into him, and not what you would typically see out on the golf course as far as his mannerisms, but he just managed to to capture the the audience uh, when he played. And uh, as I said, it was very tragic that we lost him so so early in his career, but um, he managed to to thrill us and he, uh, nevertheless. Now. Um, as you you mentioned that uh as i was reading out earlier you know you you obviously were pursuing a, at one point a playing path but obviously when when he uh passed on um that changed why did that change for you um was it was it just because of what had happened to him it just sort of knocked the wind out of your sails um what was sort of the the thought process at that point the only the only reason ted that i wanted to play the pga tour
1: was to be able to have my name next to his, or to mm-hmm. play around in a tournament with him, or the practice rounds. It, it all revolved around our relationship. I never really wanted to be a tour professional for all the trappings of of success and and fame and fortune and all that. It was just simply to be able to have time to hang out with my friend.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Um, and it, did, and you know, it he had that.
1: instantly. Yeah,
0: go ahead. No, yeah, no, I, a, I, I could see that. that. I mean, I it walked think, away. Yeah, you know, I can, I can see that. You know, he obviously, um, you know, had a gift and and was able to inspire not only yourself but many others to to sort of follow their their passions. And I can certainly see how that would would be difficult. But having said that, you then made a decision. There came a point you made a decision to. Um, become a PJ professional and and sort of tackle the other side uh, of the industry, if you will. What was the sort of catalyst that, that made that decision for you? What, what inspired you to, to take that uh, position?
1: That was always going to be my backup plan. You know, when I was at, at Ferris State, I, I turned professional. I was an assistant at a couple of clubs in Michigan, um, a couple of clubs in Indiana, and then came down to, to go to Q School and pain died and I didn't, I ended up not going. Um, and I just kind of hung out in Orlando and played a few mini tour events here and there that, that, uh, winter of 99 into 2000. And my life had actually changed a lot. Um, came down November 30th, that year of 99. So 35 days after pain was, was gone. And and just stopped at the First Baptist Orlando to thank the pastors for how they, they honored Payne and Tracy and, and Chelsea and Aaron. Mm-hmm. And spent way more time that day with the senior pastor, Jim Henry, and, and his associate pastor, J.B. Collinsworth. And they explained to right. me what a relationship with Jesus Christ was like, and I would never heard that before. Mm-hmm. And I accepted right. Christ on November 30th. Of '99, and and from that point, the the blessings that he's poured out on me is is evident in my resume. Because
0: mm-hmm.
1: I had I had no business Amen. getting a job at Bay Hill. Um, I had come from a dirt parking lot goat ranch, and some people would argue it's a dog mm-hmm. track because the goats left because they were starving. Um, and to go from <laughs> that to being an assistant at Bay Hill the week before the tour event started was uh, wow. was rad, rather culture shock. You know, wow, if your listeners incredible. would like the expanded story, it, it came down to me meeting Mike Kornicki in Charlotte Douglas International mm-hmm. Airport. And I recognized his name because he was our district director from Michigan, sat on the national board of directors with the PGA. And I just approached him. I said, Mr. Kornicki, you're my district director. And he goes, well, nice to meet you. Who are you? I said, I'm Darren. And he goes, well, Darren, if you have a few minutes, we'll sit down and tell me about yourself. So I told him and, uh, talked a little bit about Payne's death and how it had impacted me to that point. We exchanged mm-hmm. numbers. I figured I'd never hear from Mr. Kernicky again. And he called me the end of February and he says, you need to go over to Bay Hill and, and see Jim Deaton. Cause he wants to hire you. And I said, how did this happen? Wow. And he goes, well, I was with him last night on his lanai after dinner. We were having some drinks and he says, Mike, I need an assistant. and I know, you know, a thousand great assistants. Who, who do I hire? Right. And, uh, Mike mentioned my name. I said, Mike, you know everybody in the industry. Why would you mention me? He goes, I have no idea, idea, Darren. You were the only one I could think of. And I said, well, what time did this conversation happen? He goes, it had to happen between 11 and 1130. And it took my breath away, Ted, because unbeknownst to Mike, at 1111 the previous night, I was praying that the Lord would give me a reason to stay in Orlando. So... If he was having a conversation at 11 to 11:30, and I was having the prayer at the same time, there's my sign.
0: Well, amen for that. You know, it's it's interesting, and and I like you. You know, I'm I uh, I'm a follower of Christ, and and I understand, and and I know the, the importance of having that that spiritual side in our lives, and I, as you do, take it very seriously. And uh, I think there's there's so many opportunities that that people um, that really don't understand that that uh, and blessings that they've had in their lives and don't really understand fully how these things work and you know that's a, a living example right there um just the power of, of God and how he can open doors uh for somebody with without even really knowing that it was it was open for you until after the fact and um you know here a happenstance meeting with with um with somebody in an airport uh turned into uh, the beginnings of a of a, a fantastic career, and uh, that's definitely a, a divine uh, um, intervention, if you will. Uh, I want to ask you now. I want to move on to Bay Hill because obviously I know you've got a lot of, uh, as you put, life lessons and and some very valuable uh, lessons. I'm sure that you received from Mr. Palmer. Um, tell us a little bit about first off your experience uh, as uh, as a professional at Bay Hill. Obviously, I know it's a, a very well known club, and and obviously Mr. Palmer is. Uh, was a great um, ambassador to the game. Tell us about your experience there at Bay Hill. It's the greatest experience of my life,
1: far none. Um, it was challenging because you never knew who was walking through your door each day. Um, mm-hmm. It could be someone from off the street that just wanted to be a part of the the vision that Mr. Palmer had. All the way up to we saw President H. W. Bush, we saw the King of Morocco. I mean, Every dignitary that, that came through the place, Mr. Palmer was gracious enough to introduce us to. Um, he had a couple of rules. One of them was mm-hmm. treat everyone like family. And he really hammered that message mm-hmm. home to me. I, I had the, the privilege of getting to know him pretty well, and and he kind of took me under his wing, Most mostly after I had left the facility. But the lesson that he taught me the most is your value is determined by how much more you put other people first. You know, they will they don't have a gate at Bay Hill, and they don't have an automated phone system at Bay Hill. And his big saying to me was, because I asked him why he didn't have those two, and he goes, if it's important enough for someone to call us, we should be there to answer the phone. If it's important enough for them to come see us, then it becomes important mm-hmm. enough for us to remove any barrier to that. Um, wow. Wow. He uh, he had a guy come in the shop one day, I'll never forget, and he hadn't seen the guy in 49 years, and it was a brief interaction at a golf tournament. While Mr. Palmer was playing, he hit a ball into the gallery and evidently got it into this guy's beer, and it got all over his blue shirt. And the guy approached him at Bay Hill one <laughs> afternoon and, and mentioned the story in front of me, and Mr. Palmer said, how could I forget you? He named off the hole he was on. He named off the day of the week it was, what round it was, <laughs> what year, everything. And I, I saw him in the locker room later that afternoon. I said, Mr. Palmer, I said, how in the world did you remember? I mean, 49 years since you saw him. He goes, Darren, i got to tell you one thing. He says, people put the color in your life. He says, without interaction mm-hmm. with others, your life would be very black and white and mundane. He says, give, yep. give them the attention they deserve. Store the memory away. So if you have the blessing of being in front of them again, you'll be able to recall who they are and how they impacted you. Mm-hmm. And it's it's been something that's really, really, really helped me as I've developed into a, a professional. And then the last thing – You know, always, very okay, – Last thing you always – go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. Sorry. One of his biggest things was paperwork never gets up and walks off your desk. He said, "The paperwork will be there. If your door is closed mm-hmm. and you're working on paperwork, people will walk out of your office." He says, "We're in a we're in a people business. We're not in a paperwork business."
0: You know, very very powerful words that he instilled not only on yourself but but many others. You know, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm often reminded. Um, you know, many times, of course. You know, he. Um, started the golf channel and, and uh, uh, didn't appear as much in, in his later years, but was certainly was a, a driving force early on. And I can remember some of the um, interviews that they had of him, um, you know, when he was at Bay Hill and, uh, you know, in his office and things like that. And I can remember them telling, or rather him telling how, you know, as he was sifting through, I mean, piles of, mail of letters that people would send him how he answered he didn't you know hand okay you take this pile and I'm going to take that pile he made a point of responding to those people that took the time to you know reach out to him as you said so it just really hammers home the the point that you were making that he believed in that that you know that developing those relationships and I think this is why truthfully you know if you were to take away all the tournaments that he won and all of the financial success that he endured over his his lifetime, I think people most remember him for the fact that he treated you like you were somebody special and important. Um, And it was not um, fake. It was genuine. And I think that's why people, more so than any other professional in in golf, and and really even outside of golf, I mean, Arnold Palmer was famous – not just as a golfer, but just as a an example of a a really a wonderful human being, and and how he did, you know. Uh, and, and I've never heard anybody ever speak ill will of Mr. Palmer um, because of that. Because of how they felt, they always felt that they were important. Whether it was somebody on the sidelines, you know, at a tournament, or somebody that, as you said, that came through. Uh, and, and visited at Bay Hill or played on the golf course, everybody was special to him and he made you feel that. So you had obviously firsthand knowledge of that. So share some other stories, if you wouldn't mind, um, you know, of your experience. Some other, you mentioned a, a number of life lessons that he taught you. What were some of the other things that, that he taught you? Um, some might be on the golf course, but uh, others may be off. What were some things that he instilled that you still remember to this day? You're never above the
1: least job on your property. I saw him one morning at 630 in the morning in his cut off sweatpants and cut off teat sweatshirt. And he's got a a grocery store bag in his hand and he's out picking out cigarette butts out of the flower bed. Hmm. It it was, that had a big impact on me. And still to this day, if I see a cigarette butt somewhere, regardless of where I'm at, I'm picking it up and, and throwing in the trash. It just he had a he had a respect and a respectability mm-hmm. that was unparalleled and there's there's another one of our staff from my days at Bay Hill that's on our national or on our north Florida p j board together with me and mm-hmm. and we reminisce a lot about the impact that Mr. Palmer had on us and how we it's our goal to live
0: out his legacy through the rest of our lives. You know, what's interesting, Darren, about that is, you know, when I think of it now, it's very easy for me to remember. Now, obviously, I know he, he won many, many tournaments, but his, his personality and just his willingness, as, as we both attest to, of, of how he treated other people, in my opinion, far outshone Uh, anything that he did on the golf course and that certainly he had a phenomenal career. I'm not uh, certainly making light of that, but I think him as a human being, as I suggested uh, a few moments ago, I think actually elevated him to even a higher level Um, and the tournaments and his success, you know, on the golf course and as a business person really um, came secondary. Um, And and it's amazing when you think of, because you know what he's accomplished, as a, as a person, you know, in business and, and, and on the golf course. But when you think about how he was as an individual to so many people and how he impacted, I mean, people around the world, whether they even followed golf, Arnold Palmer is probably the one person that you can mention their name and everybody can identify with who he was, even if they never watched a, if a, he watched a lick of golf in there. Right.
1: If he was on the call right now, he would chuckle. And he would say, I wasn't even the most well-known person in my own hometown. And he said that to me one day, and I kind of gave him a quizzical look, and I go, are you kidding me? You're by far and away the most popular person ever to come out of La Trobe, Pennsylvania. He goes, you ever heard of a guy named Fred Rogers? I'm like, who? He goes, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. He said, I've been second fiddle to him my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, it, it, it was amazing. Well, I think we would all agree that Jack Nicklaus was by far and away the greatest golfer that ever played. Hey, Tiger right. tried to, to make that argument. Um, mm-hmm. But if we all stopped and thought about it and looked at impact worldwide, Arnold Palmer is the greatest golfer that ever lived. I mean, no, yeah. Nobody else I, I can w- say what Mr. Palmer could could say but never would say. In the handshake with Mark mm-hmm. McCormick and and the creation of IMG ushered in the advent mm-hmm. of golf on television. It ushered in the mm-hmm. advent of pro-ams because Mr. Palmer was was known to the celebrities and was friends with the celebrities far and wide. I mean, he he transcended the game and he would tell you to a man his greatest accomplishments in life were his daughters, his grandkids, mm-hmm. and the Arnold Palmer Hospital for Children and the Winnie Palmer Hospital for Babies. Right.
0: Were his two greatest achievements beyond his family. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, and you you raise a, a really a valid point because you're you're right. I mean, you know, golf to many, you know, pre-television was simply country club golf. Um, that's how most people um, you know, even in or out of the industry, um, viewed it. It was, you know, something you went to the country club, you played golf. It was, uh, you know, uh, an elite sport, if you will, or elite game. And it wasn't really until it was brought to the masses that people felt. And, you know, because he appealed to so many, um, you know, various levels and demographics. I mean, the working class, man, it wasn't just the executives. It was the working class people. And that's why they were so gravitated to Mr. Palmer, because, again, his personality was he made you feel welcome. And and as you pointed out, I mean, you know, how many CEOs and and business executives do you know are out picking cigarette butts out of, you know, out of the the flatbed um, at 6.30 in the morning? Um, No, right. especially since they're probably some of the ones flicking them there. But, 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 you know, you understand my point is he obviously had a vision. He wanted to bring a game that he loved and was passionate about and obviously served him well in many, many aspects. He wanted to bring that to what I would say, the everyday man to say, this is something for you too. It's not just for the people that got, you know, a lot of money and and can afford to to join uh, these clubs. He made it and he and he brought it into your living room with uh, as you said with uh, uh, the onset of, of television so he he definitely um, I would agree exactly with your statement uh, a few moments ago that I think that uh, Nicholas certainly uh, was a, a phenomenal player and and certainly has done tremendous things for the game. but I think as far as the golf brand itself, I don't think anybody even comes close to Mr. Palmer, and I don't think anybody no, ever no. will no matter how hard they try. Um, and you're certainly, uh, that was another one of your, your, um, very fortunate blessings to have in life, to to have that experience and, and, uh, that time that you were able to spend with him it's something I know that you'll, you'll treasure, uh, as you did with, with pain. All right. I want to move on to, um, talking about, uh, golf travel. I know this is something that, uh, you've become very passionate about you've been involved in other aspects of the game, but this is uh, a little bit uh, different and obviously there are some great opportunities so let's first before we we get into that let's talk about the state of golf travel today. We've seen a lot of changes in in golf um, particularly here in the United States. We've seen a lot of um, you know golf courses uh, have struggled over the last decade or so um, people are you know there's a lot of chatter in the industry and has been for a while about making changes to the design of golf courses, making them maybe not as tough, uh, scaling back on resorts. But at the same time, we look internationally and in certain areas like China and other uh, countries, there's literally a boom in in golf course development and and opportunities for for golf travel. So what in your estimation do you see in today's market, the state of uh, golf travel, and then maybe give us an idea of how you think it's going to change in the coming years?
1: You know, it's a really good economy right now, Ted. It's a really good economy. People, mm-hmm. are, people are traveling again. They're playing golf. And despite mm-hmm. the, the limits on corporate taxation and deduction allowances for golf, groups are still traveling. And they're still having really good times. There's a tremendous amount of great resorts out there. And not only are they great resorts, they're great resorts at each price point because not everybody wants to spend 4,000 dollars on a golf trip. So right. the key is is finding finding your vision, just understanding who your your group is, what the demographic is, what the skill level is, the ages, what are you looking for in a golf experience? I think if if we polled 100 group leaders, maybe 5 to 8% would say it's about the competition. I think the rest mm-hmm. would say it's about the camaraderie. The off course is now becoming right. as important as the on course, um, and that's and that's where your travel specialist really needs to mm-hmm. to take ownership of your group and learn learn your vision, and learn it to the, the to the greatest detail. Um, because then they can they can take your group and they can they can give you suggestions on where to go. But beyond the where to go, it's what's off course for you. Is there this great mm-hmm. hole-in-the-wall restaurant that nobody but the locals know about that you would miss out on? Right. Is it knowing that because of certain times of day, maybe the golf course isn't going to be as crowded? You could switch your tee time up a little bit, have a much better experience mm-hmm. there. Are there resorts that offer a gathering room or a hospitality room that you guys could have that has pool tables or ping pong tables or dart boards or poker tables, something like that, to engage the off-course right. experience? And that's really where, where the specialty of a, a travel specialist will help you. But I think over the next yeah, few because... years, I, I think our economy is, is still doing well until we have an economic shakeup of some, some point, I think the golf business is better than what people are going to say it is. You know, we're still suffering from a right. glut of over building in the late eighties and nineties. Um, if we were truthful with ourselves, we probably could stand to see another 20 to 30% of the courses go off into redevelopment
0: mm-hmm.
1: because we just, we simply, we've got, too much product right now for what the market's bearing. The millennials aren't getting into the game as quickly as some of their predecessors. You know, we're having to right. shift the way we market golf, the way we sell golf, the way we monitor golf. So there are a lot of changes coming. You yep. know, you know, we've got some good initiatives coming with the PGA of America. Um, I can't get into a lot of them right now, but there's some things sure. the PGA is going to roll out that I think every age every skill level, every demographic is going to benefit from.
0: Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And, and I'm, I'm familiar with, with some of them, but um, I think that you're, you're, you, you've really hit it right on the head. I think that, you know, obviously there, there was a point when the market became very saturated and uh, you know, like any market it, it has to, it requires adjustments. And it also, I think it it requires a forward vision um, from management within these facilities. I think to understand that the changes in demographics, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing many more um, women, particularly young women now getting into the game. I mean, you know, according to some of the recent stats from the national golf foundation and other organizations, um, you know, somewhere between 30 to 35% uh, of all new golfers coming in each year uh, are young females. So they're, now being exposed at various levels uh, to this game. And, you know, it's really important that the industry finds ways, um, not just dealing with them on the golf course, but as you put uh, very eloquently, off course functions as well. You know, what is there for them to do when they're not on the golf course? And because you have such a big surgence of, you know, uh, women coming in, you know, it's got to be things that obviously that would appeal and, and it could be, you know, spa uh, as an example and, and other things. But, you know, they don't want to be, you know, for lack of better words, they don't want to be pigeonholed into, you know, a couple of categories. They want to have some other experience as well. They don't want to say, oh, well, we'll put, you know, we'll give you a spa treatment and things like that. They want other experiences as well. So it, it's time to really be very creative. And is that something that you're seeing or a trend that you're seeing in, in your industry now?
1: Yes the The rise of all female golf groups is fantastic, mm-hmm. you know, and they're they're mm-hmm. all age brackets, you know, they're they're thirty right. somethings, they're forty somethings. There's there's ladies that are in their sixties and seventies and eighties still traveling together, and they should be treated no differently right. than the men's groups. Um, the spa is a, is a great starter, but to some the yes. spa has gotten old. Everybody's always had a spa; you can right. always go to the spa. Well, where, where are we going to do something where we get them to a resort and, okay, let's play golf at 830 in the morning, go back, have mm-hmm. a, a nice um, boutique-style lunch, and let's bring in a right. world-renowned chef and do some cooking classes. Or let's bring in some mm-hmm. local artist to do some, some pottery classes or something where the ladies right. can take something tangible fan. with them. Mm-hmm. It's become it's become really really neat, and I've you know, I've partnered with some of the the resorts that can do that. You know, Silverado Resort in Napa. If if a group of couples mm-hmm. goes out to Silverado, they're going to play golf and they're going to have a great experience at the property. But we're also going to take them off property and do vineyard tours and you know wine making tours and cooking classes because the food in Napa is just outstanding.
0: You know, yeah, no, it's I know. What can differentiate <laughs> I, I the experience? Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it, you're exactly right. It, it, it has to be, you know, it, it has to be a and, and it's like everything, you know, I think in everything in life now, you know, we've been so exposed through things like social media and that and, and the sort of instant gratification type uh, mentality that we're always looking for, you know, what's new, what's you know, let's do something different. And I think, it, you know, this has been, I think, part of the problem for a while in, in, even in our industry, is it kind of stagnated for a while. You know, it, it seemed like, okay, we want to get them to the golf course and we want to keep them on the golf course uh, or on our resort. And, you know, that's fine to a point, but it, as you said, people want other experiences. So now they're having to partner with the community as a whole and say, okay, what things can we do outside of the, the resort? You know, we're going to get them to stay here. We're going to get them to play in the golf course, but we need to have other activities uh, and adventures, if you will, for them, um, because otherwise they're 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 going to get bored and they're they're just not going to come back. So you want to you know you right. want them excited about wanting to come back, and and the resort is really the center or the focal point uh, for that uh, for that opportunity. Now you you mentioned here um, some of the best places in the southeast uh, for uh, those savvy golf groups, if you will, to travel to. So let's talk about a few of them. Mention uh, some of the ones that that you're. Uh, you know, most fond of and, and maybe give us some idea of of why uh, they stand up to that, uh, to that test. You know, if we just look at the state of Florida, for instance, you know, I I talked
1: earlier Mm -hmm. about having a different price point for every demographic. You know, if you want to start at the high end experience, um, I'm, I'm a homeboy. So Bay Hill is always going to be top of my list. It's always going to be home, but I still see, even after Mr. Palmer's gone, How Amy, his daughter, and her husband, Roy, have continued his vision of understated elegance where everybody knows your name and they treat you like one of the family from the minute you come in the front door to the minute you leave. And I've had great success this year with with groups going to Bay Hill. Um, Hammock Beach Resort, I would consider a middle-tier experience where you're not having to pay an exorbitant amount, but you're still getting a wonderful opportunity to go play two great golf courses. They just redid the ocean course
0: uh, a little yep. over a
1: year ago, two years ago, maybe mm-hmm. with, with wall to wall platinum past Palum. And for your listeners who have never played wall to wall past Palum, envision an artificial turf golf course, key to green that doesn't wow. go dormant in the winter. And that's Platinum Pass Palum. And it is dense. It is lush. It is gorgeous. And they've done – the, the superintendent at Hammock Beach has done an exceptional job with the, the renovation and then maintaining the golf course throughout. It's the longest – or it's the golf course in the state of Florida that has the most holes on the Atlantic Ocean. And then its sister course, mm-hmm. Inland, the Tom Watson Conservatory Course, is the longest golf course in the state of Florida. It can stretch well beyond what any of us mortals want to play. But it's (laughs) the quality of golf, exactly. The quality of golf, the exquisite food, the wonderful accommodations that they have there, and being right on the beach, you really can't beat it for the the price you're going to pay. And then another resort that I've been pleasantly surprised at the experience is Mission Inn. It's a, it's a hidden gem about oh, 45 minutes northwest mm-hmm. of Orlando, and they do a really good job. It's a family-run organization from the Butcher family. It's been handed down through the generations, and they just do a really right. good job of treating you well. Two courses. They're good golf courses. There's a couple holes on each course that you probably wish you didn't have to play, depending on your skill level. <laughs> but it's right. it's great. great experience and it's a great value
0: you know there there's really so many um, great courses out there and and particularly resorts that I mean you could literally spend a lifetime and you know exploring and 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 this is really where um, you know going back to what you were pointing out earlier the the benefit of you know if you are for those listeners out there that are maybe part of a golf group uh, or even thinking of putting together a golf group for for travel you want to make sure that you connect with a, a golf travel specialist because they can really point out um, you know some of the, the the best areas to go to what's going to give you the best value um, for your your dollars because you know even though the economy is doing better and people have you know, more disposable income, if you will, um, they're still, you know, they're, they still consider themselves to be uh, consumer savvy. And they want to, you know, make sure that they're getting value for I mean, when you're, you know, putting up two, three, four thousand dollars for a trip, you know, that's a lot of money uh, for many people. And, uh, you know, they want to make sure so that really, you know, hammers home the importance of getting somebody that's experienced in that. And that's really, you know, what you're What you're doing now, I mean, you've had the the pleasure of of obviously doing other areas in the golf industry, but uh, it's given you a great insight to, um, you know, working at places like Bay Hill, um, really what it takes to be a first class, um, you know, facility and what people are looking for and what experience people are looking for. And now you're able to to sort of package that up and say, hey, if you want a great experience, here's what you need to do. So um, I, I agree with that. Now, you also have some tips as well for group leaders. What are some of the tips that you have for group leaders uh, if they're interested in hosting a great uh, golf getaway?
1: First of all, don't ever volunteer to be the group leader. Make, make, you, <laughs> make your group impose that on you because it is the most thankless job on the planet. As I had I <laughs> a, a group leader the other day I was talking to. He goes, how do I have 31 opinions when I only have 16 guys on my trip? So communication (laughs) is the key. I mean, the first thing you need to do, you need to find find the area of the nation you're going to go to. And then you need to get your vision of what you want your trip to look like and feel like. And what do you want your experience to be at the end of the trip? And then you find your travel specialist. Because the last thing a group leader needs is to be trying to track down five or six different resorts, trying to keep all Mm -hmm. of it straightened away. Keep all the details together. Um, it can be mind-numbing in the amount of time it takes just simply to get return emails at times if you're the group leader. I've heard it many times mm-hmm. in my in my time in this industry is people don't get back to you, and it's mind-boggling to me because right. all they want to do is come to your facility and spend a bunch of money there and have a great time, and you're not getting back to them. You know, yeah. I've got I've got a personal policy for myself that is Palmer based that it's under twenty four hours response time. Normally I'd like it to be inside of two hours, but I do play a lot of golf right. with my groups and my group leaders. So sometimes I'm on the golf course and it makes it impossible to do it with the with accuracy. But for sure twenty four mm-hmm. hour response time. There's there's no reason around it. Um, another thing that they need to do is make sure you ask your travel professional or the resort that you're dealing with, what is your maintenance schedule? Because the last thing you want to mm-hmm. do is be oh, yeah. a guy that has 27 other guys with you, and you get there, and they punch two weeks before you got there. You can't yeah. do that. <laughs> can, yeah, no, yeah, I hear you. That is, that is probably one of the biggest <laughs> things that I see people not do. Right. But you have to do it because everybody has to undergo invasive maintenance
0: um sure yeah that's that's to be expected mm-hmm. but you're exactly you're, you're, sure you're right there and you you've, you've got to yeah you've got to ask those
1: questions go ahead sorry you've got you've got to take cold weather and rain gear with you regardless of whether you're going to the desert because something's always going to happen make sure your guys take or your ladies take whatever they need to protect themselves from adverse weather conditions um something i'm going to caution your listeners to do is is there's a lot of websites out there that offer instant quotes. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm dealing with one right now who had an instant quote from a facility, and when you get an instant quote, they haven't checked the availability. So you go ahead, you get your instant quote, you run it by your group, people start making plane reservations, things of that nature. The instant quote never held anything. It just tells you what it would have Mm -hmm. been if you would have taken that opportunity. make sure you get everything in writing. Make sure it's detailed out. And then the single thing, if you don't listen to anything else that I say today or retain any of our conversation, if you're a group leader or aspire to be a group leader, make sure that you communicate all of the details of your group to your group well in advance and then again right before you get there. Because the last thing that you want, we all know that people don't read things that you send them. Right, But the more that you can send it to them, do it and if you can if you can send that agenda and all the details ahead to your resort or to your travel specialist and have them make hard copies of it that can be given to your group at registration, that will allow you then once you're there to become a participant of the group and not necessarily the group leader
0: right. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, just on, on sort of a personal side note, you know, just before coming on live tonight, I, I, uh, and certainly I'm not passing judgment, but I, I sent a, a, an email to you uh, just to, to reaffirm the phone number. The reason why I do that is because very early on when I did this the show several years back, people would call because obviously in my emails, I've got my contact information. And just to prove your point that they don't always read everything is they kept calling my cell phone number to call to the show, and they couldn't understand why we weren't connecting. So I thought, you know what? Because we had never been on the show together before, I thought just as a, as a cautionary note, I was going to send you that email. And obviously, I knew you were smart enough to read the email. But it just—you're exactly right. And and let me ask you something else too. Um, just going back to the uh, the group leaders and that. Obviously, I think it's important for them to initially before they really start looking around is to have a budget in mind. Make sure that, you know, they've talked to the group and say, okay, let's, you know, let's kind of get a budget of, of what, you know, you're willing to, to spend. Is that, uh, I think, a smart thing as well? Because you don't want to start looking around and the, all these numbers start coming back and everybody says, well, yeah, that's that's a little over my budget. So is that a good idea, do you think, for them to sort of get together as a, as a group and say, look, okay. Yeah. I think just so that, that, that way, then they're not, the specialist already knows, okay, you know, we've got a budget of let's say for argument's sake, $3,000. That's the the top end. You know, what can you get us? And that doesn't necessarily mean you have to go for the 3000, but that's the the top end of the budget. So the the, the specialist has an idea of what they're working with because, you know, it's like any agent, you know, there's nothing worse than coming back and say, Hey, we've got this great trip for you and it's, you know, uh, $4,800 a piece. And you're thinking, wait, that's a little bit more than our, our, uh, our price cap. So, that's obviously i think a conversation that needs to happen right up front too would you agree
1: i would agree and and another thing that they need to do is they also need to give you their minimum budget because the last thing you want to right. do is say you know what your 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 max budget's 1500 okay so that kind of allows me to take some of the higher end resorts and kind of push them off to the side so now i'm going to look at the right. the middle tier and the lower tier but if they're really wanting to spend $1,500 and get a $1,500 experience, if we come back with a lower end tier, say $800, are they offended? Do you have to have a different conversation? It just it helps everyone right. in the group, and every group's going to be different. You know, there are some groups where sure. money is not a factor, and there's other groups where money's not a factor for most, but there is for some. So there's that dichotomy. And let's face it, mm-hmm. even though the economy is good, a dollar is still a dollar, and it's still hard to come by.
0: That's and right. eventually
1: this boom yeah. that we're in is going to level off or it's going to diminish. And we need to, be, mm-hmm. we need to be respectful of other people's money and their time and mm-hmm. their experience. And if you have a travel specialist that is not respectful of your money,
0: your time, or your experience,
1: you need to walk away from them.
0: Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly I know from a personal experience I know I've had over uh the years you know on on opportunities when I've looked at booking you know uh groups and you know friends and things like that and um you know I I won't get into names or things like that but I've had situations you know going to your point earlier about you know response times and things like that where they just you know after the initial conversation they're just not um you know getting back to you in a in a timely fashion and that really that sends to me a red flag that either this organization's got too much going on and they're just not able, uh, you know, they're not staffed properly or they just you know, don't have a priority of, of customer service and that's that's something too I think is uh, for those of you that are uh maybe group leaders or in a group out there, that's something too that you want to make sure that whoever you're dealing with is is being respectful to you and, and, and being responsive because you're you know, you're shelling out some money to enjoy vacation and there's nothing worse than not being able to get a hold of uh, uh the people that are that are coordinating your, your uh your you know golf getaway so um that's that something so right, uh, that you if, mentioned earlier. If oh, there's a lot of them out there you, different, trust me.
1: <laughs> if they're not gonna get back to you when you want to give them money, how are they gonna right. respond to you if you have an issue along the way? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, they're not. And that was. That's that's yeah. the cold hard fact. Correct. Yeah, yep. that's there's the some cold, in every every
1: industry. So mm-hmm. we're we're no different. Our industry is no different than the other industry. You've got those that that really care. You've got those that think they care, and you've got there those that could care less.
0: Well, I think you're exactly right. I think what it it boils down to, and I think these were obviously you know lessons that you obviously learn from, um, you know, obviously pain earlier on. And then ultimately, you know, Mr. Palmer, and that is, it, it's all really built around relationships and, you know, regardless of what industry or what product you, you may be, uh, or even service that you're involved with, uh, it's all about uh, building and developing those relationships. And, you know, if you treat people in a respectful manner, Um, then you're more than likely going to be very successful in whatever it is that you do. But if people have to chase after you or feel like they're not being valued um, in some way, um, it's going to be a very short lived career. I can, I can guarantee you that. Um, So let's end this on a a note that uh, for those listeners out there um, that want to, you know, reach out and, and maybe if they're not currently in a group, uh, maybe they're thinking about putting a group together how can they reach out to you, uh, Darren, and and maybe uh, get some of that uh, uh, ball rolling, if you will? The best way would be through our website. It's
1: golftravelprofessionals.com. If they want to reach out directly to me, it's darren at golfprofessionals.com.
0: And my first name is spelled D A R I N. Perfect. I will make a point of uh, putting that up through my, uh, my social media after we uh, uh, finish our, our uh, session tonight. But um, very, very interesting story um, that you bring to the show, Darren. Uh, you know, obviously, you've um, worked very, very hard um, yourself, and you understand the value of relationships and, and, and developing those relationships. And you've, you've had some good uh, people in your um, path, very early on that that have helped guide and navigate you down, and as you pointed out very early on in our broadcast tonight, uh, obviously having a strong spiritual background as well and understanding the importance of that um, has has served you very well, and uh, I applaud you because I know it's not always sometimes in today's um, society, it's not always um, a, a popular position, uh, you know, I've, I've had moments in my life where you know, I thought to myself, you know, I need to keep that on the down low, but, uh, I've decided some time ago that that's not going to be the case. Um, you know, it's, it's an important part of my life and I make no bones about it even on the show. Um, and, uh, I applaud you for, for doing the same, but Darren, I, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I think I'm going to be reaching out to you. Uh, um, I'm actually, um, I won't get into it now on the show, but uh, I'm actually working uh, and preparing to launch a very special um, platform uh, a little bit later on this spring um, um, in, in conjunction with the shows that I'm currently doing, and uh, I've I've been wanting to really reach out into the travel area uh, to add that component to to what I'm going to be doing. So I think I've I think I've found my candidate to uh, to pro- possibly uh, help me out in that area. So I, I will definitely be in contact you with about that but in the meantime darren i want to thank you very much for being my special yeah i I would love to um i appreciate you being my special guest tonight here on golf talk live and um you're welcome to come back anytime and if you've got you know things happening later in the season and uh you feel like you'd like to share them with the audience uh, my audience is always uh willing able and very receptive to uh, my guests so um, by all means, just feel free to reach out, and as I said, I'll be in touch with you, anyways, uh, about something else. But um, um, I've really enjoyed our conversation. You've you've really uh, uh, shared some some very valuable valuable insight, not only in the travel business, but shared some some great uh, backstory to uh, uh, to two people I, I've uh, admired in in my golf uh, career as well. And that's of course uh, Payne Stewart and uh, and the late Arnold Palmer. So thank you for well, that. Next for sharing time we're
1: it. together, Ted, I will. Uh... I'll introduce you to my last living mentor who uh, who kept me in the golf business when I wanted to leave and who's never given mm-hmm. up on me and is currently now the secretary of the PGA of America named John Lindert. So our next conversation will get into okay. a little bit about how John has taken pain in Mr. Palmer's place and has for the last almost 30 years. John's been there. So we'll get into that there. If good. I can well, do anything to help you professionally
0: or any of your listeners, don't hesitate to ask. You'll get a response. Perfect. Well, Darren, again, thank you very much, and and I will take that as an opportunity to have you back on the show so we can continue the conversation. But, um, again, thank you for, for sharing uh, all that you did tonight uh, with my listeners, and uh, much continued success, and God bless, my friend. Drive safely. Your title is depending on you. Yeah, (laughs) I agree. All right, thank you very much, Darren. I appreciate it. All right, good night. Bye-bye. All right, that was my very special guest, Darren Hoff, uh, the Director of Golf Sales for Golf Travel Professionals, LLC. Uh, You can go to golftravelprofessionals.com and uh, get all of the uh, contact information there and find out more information uh, about some of his services there. And uh, I think you'll uh, you'll find it very, very uh, useful. And uh, his email, of course, is uh, also on there, so you can reach out uh, in his uh, contact numbers. But uh, I want to thank uh, Darren for coming on and, and helping to drive, as he said, the, uh, the first show of the season. And uh, it's, uh, it's been a very interesting show. And as I mentioned at the very onset, Uh, I'll be doing uh, interviews like this for the next few weeks, and then we'll be launching into the full broadcast on March 5th, Um, starting with, of course, uh, uh, the first round of the season of Coach's Corner. I've got a great panel to start off, and uh, we'll be carrying that out through the rest of the season, and then, of course, I'll have a uh, very insightful guest coming on the second half. So. Uh, it'll be an hour broadcast for the next few weeks until we hit March 5th, and then that'll go into the full broadcast uh, for the full two hours, uh, again, beginning with Coach's Corner. So on that note, thank you very much. Uh, I'm excited to uh, to launch this uh, Season 8, and I will tell you more. Uh, I know you've heard me talk about it last season, about the iGolf Sports Network. Uh, That is uh, chugging along very, very nicely. That is uh, what I was actually mentioning and referring to Darren about a few moments ago. Uh, I will tell you more about that as the weeks come. We're getting all the the final preparations ready, and that will be launched uh, a little bit later in the spring. I will give you and keep you posted as we go along, but I think you're going to really like that. Uh, It's, again, called the iGolf Sports Network. Um, it's going to be a new platform that I'm going to be releasing as, as part of my uh, journey through the media form, if you will. So I hope you'll stay tuned and and, uh, and keep posted for that. But on that note, God bless everybody, and thank you for joining me here tonight on Golf Talk Live. Thanks for listening to this evening's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Remember to tune in each week at BlogTalkRadio.com forward slash Golf Talk Live can't join us live check out the on demand section for previously aired broadcasts or listen on any of the following social media platforms itunes stitcher TuneIn, Castbox, TalkStream talk stream live and of course spotify to get updates on future shows and upcoming guests be sure to visit the show's facebook page golf talk live blog you can also follow me on twitter at ted and buck ceo remember to join me live each week for another great broadcast of golf talk live see you next time This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network. 18 plus.